How's everybody doing? Good deal. Good deal. All right, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. Um, while you're turning there, let me just say it's great to have you in the house this morning. Um, if this is your first time here, you are um, with us on week 24 of a, uh, just a journey through the book of Acts. Um, let's see if we can recap to this point what we've learned in the book of Acts. There's a church that tries to love Jesus and fails miserably most of the time. And there's a God who is faithful and still uses them. Does that sum it up? It's pretty good so far, right? You're like, see, if you're here for the first time, you're thinking, I didn't need to come for 23 weeks. I'm already caught up. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 18. And we're going to be talking about unfinished business. Um, some of you have had the nerve to walk up to me today and ask me if I got lazy while I was shaving this morning. Um, and if you're one of the thousands of people who actually listen to the podcast um, let me just talk to you for a second. You can't see me, but um, half my face is shaved and half my face is unshaved. And now that I think about it, if you're in the room, you still can't see it because I can't grow a manly beard. <laughs> but half my face is unshaved and half my face is shorn. Is that how you use the word shorn? Is that right? Thank you. So we're talking about unfinished business. This is just your illustration for the whole afternoon, okay? I want you to see this. Oh, that's scary. I want you to see this as you close your eyes tonight. The last thing you see after you pray and say amen to God is my face halfway shaved. We're talking about unfinished business. I have to confess to you that I am not naturally a finisher. My guess is I'm not the only one in here. Okay. I, um, I have to say this because one of the things about being um, a pastor is I love having a wife who will tell you the absolute truth. She doesn't kid around. Like, I can't, I can't um, fool you. That's a good word. I can't fool you. If I say something and it's not totally true, then all you have to do is ask Wendy and she'll tell you the truth. So um, I have to be totally honest with you. If you come to my house right now, well, go right now, nobody's there. But if you come later this afternoon and you walk in, you say, hey, can I use your bathroom? And I'd say, sure, you know, it's right down the hall, first door on the left. If you walked in my bathroom right now, here's what you would see. You would see walls that need to be painted. And the reason they need to be painted is because about a month ago, I was taking a shower. I know this is way too much information, but I have to make sure you get this. I'm taking a shower, and in the middle of the shower, I look up at the walls, which are covered with wallpaper. But they're curling at the edges, and it's dated wallpaper. And I just, in a moment, I just went, I'm sick of the wallpaper. And during the shower, <laughs> I just took a corner and just whoosh. So, I started, but I've not finished. I started by pulling wallpaper. I've not finished by painting. Um, starting for me is fun. Starting for me is exciting. Starting is hopeful. Finishing feels very far off. It feels dull. It feels hard. Anybody in here going, yeah, I get that. Finishing is work. Starting is easy. Starting, for, this is good for me, it requires no thought. Finishing often does. Starting allows us to have instant satisfaction without really putting forth any effort. Would you agree? Think back to January. Christmas is over. We've all had lots of candy. We've had turkey. We've put on a few pounds, right? Happens every year. And so all you have to do to have instant satisfaction and instant gratification is tell somebody the first week of January, hey, guess what I'm doing? 
I'm going on a diet. And you know what they'll do? That's great. That's awesome. Way to go. They'll pat you on the back. They'll cheer with you. You have instant, You walk away going, I'm all that. I'm going on a diet. But there's no work involved yet, right? The work comes later. Starting is easy. Finishing, not so much. So today, we're going to run into um, these two verses in Acts chapter 18. That's where we're going to be the whole time. Acts 18, verses 9 and 10. Paul runs right smack dab, that's a good southern phrase, smack dab, into the temptation to not finish. So let me just catch up to these two verses. In Acts 18, he goes to Corinth. Corinth was, in that day, the most prominent Greek city of Paul's time. So it's like most large cities, um, when I describe this city, just when I'll count to three and you all blurt out the name of the city that comes to your mind that, that I'm describing right now, not Corinth, but in today's, are you ready? You're going to have to say it, you're going to have to say it all. And I know you're thinking big licking frog palm, but don't say it. Okay, think big, big city, Meisenheimer, New London. Corinth, it was in intellectually arrogant. It was materially wealthy. It was morally corrupt. On the count of three, just yell out a big city that we know of. One, two, three. I don't even know what you said. <laughs> Suddenly we're Pentecostal. I have no idea what you said. <laughs> Baden? Vegas. Oh, Vegas. <laughs> Baden? Maybe. So Paul's in Corinth, and that's the city that he's in. So in short, he's taking the gospel to a city that is wealthy, and it's arrogant, and it's corrupt. So he's got a pretty good reason to maybe lay down and quit. This is where we find him in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. So God's going to give him three reasons that he should finish what he started. Three reasons not to quit. Let's read 18, and 18, 9, and 10, and then I'll tell you the three reasons. Here we go. Acts 18, starting in verse 9. One night, and this is at the end of some pretty decent ministry, the first eight verses, basically what happens is Paul goes to the synagogue, because he always does that, right? We've learned that. He always goes to a city, then he goes to the synagogue, he starts teaching the Jews. But this time, the Jews don't listen to anything he has to say. And I don't know if you should say this as a pastor, but he just blows them off. He just says, look, I'm done with you. I'm done with you Jews. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And so he goes right next door to a Gentile, and that person receives Christ. And so that's a great thing. If you were here when Koshi baby was here from India, he talked about how he's, his church is right next to a Hindu temple. Now you know that you are doing great things for Jesus when the Hindu priest tells his own daughter, don't come to me for prayer. I can't help you. Go next door. That's good stuff. So this is what happens here. Paul goes next door to the Jewish synagogue, and he's hanging out with some Gentiles, some leaders in the Gentiles, and they get saved. They receive Christ. That's a good day. Amen? So at the end of that day, he goes to sleep, and this is where we are. Verse 9, one night while Paul's sleeping, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. And here's what God says. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, verse 10, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city three reasons that paul should not quit three reasons why he needs to finish the unfinished business and here's number one god says know god's presence know my presence know god's presence all of us would agree that things are scarier in the dark right just because you can't see because you feel like you're alone 
I, I love um, I love going like in a haunted houses where they tell you that you're feeling eyeballs and they you turn on the lights and you're just feeling peeled grapes. Because it's dark, you can't see. Your mind starts to play tricks on you. What you feel, you start thinking of something else. When you're alone, you don't know what's going on. It's easy to be afraid. Seems elementary. Millions of dollars are made every year based on that one simple premise that things are scarier in the dark. It's interesting to see, even though we know that we need one another, it's interesting to see how many people choose to live isolated lives. And here's what's amazing to me. I've never spent time in prison yet. Hopefully never. What do they use as punishment in prison? Solitary confinement. So if you're a really bad prisoner, they come to you and say, you know what, we're going to put you in solitary confinement. So what the prisoners are punished with is what those of us who are free choose to live with. Blows my mind. We know that we need one another. If we feel like we're alone, we make bad, horrible decisions. And so God says to Paul, look, you're going to want to not finish this because you think that you're alone, but know my presence. Acts 18.9, God says, don't be afraid. And in Acts 18.10, he tells Paul why not to be afraid, because I am with you. What's the bottom line here? Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And why is this such a big deal? Somebody say why. I'm glad you asked. Get your pens ready. Lots of verses for you to write down. Because when God, who is love, draws near to us, there's no more room for the fear that makes us want to quit. Instead, here are things that God's presence can give us. One, it gives us rest. Exodus 33, 14. Anybody see the movie um, when he goes, you complete me? Isn't that a great line? God's presence completes us. It gives us completion. 1 John 4, 12. The presence of God gives us courage. Joshua 1, 9. God said, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. Hebrews 13, 5. The presence of God gives us contentment. Man, that's a, that's a big one. That's huge. How many of you know somebody who's not content right now in their life? I know you're sitting next to them. It was nice of you not to point them out. Right over here. You know, sometimes when we're not content, it's because we don't realize that we have the presence of God. Isn't that right? But when we know that we have God, if God is for me, who can be against me? When I've got God, I don't have to be discontent. The last thing it gives us, it gives us relationship. Revelation 3.20. You have heard this verse, probably a lot of you have. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would open the door, I will come in and eat with him. Or if you're reading the King James, it says, I will come in and sup with him. Which means Jesus walks in and goes, sup. <laughs> but the point here is that having God's presence gives us relationship. He says, he's not talking to lost people in Revelation. You know that, right? I mean, that's the most misused verse in the Bible. Because we teach about, with evangelism, hey, just knock on somebody's door when they open it and say, you know what? Do you know Jesus? No. Well, he's standing at your door knocking. But that was written to churches. So, gathering. Jesus stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if you open it, his presence comes into your life, and guess what? You get, to, you get to have a relationship with Jesus. You get to have fellowship with Jesus. He goes, sup, dog? 
A lot of people leave things unfinished because they are afraid. But the presence of God counteracts that. That's why that bottom line is this. Don't be afraid. I am with you. So we know God's presence. He says, Paul, know my presence. Number two, he says, trust my protection. Trust God's protection. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Show me your hands, okay? Have you ever felt like you should say something, but then you talk yourself out of it? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Now, I mean, just, I'll go ahead and give you the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes it might be good to talk yourself out of saying what you wanted to say. But I've had conversations where I knew I should say something a little difficult, but I talked myself out of it. And why did I do that? Because I was afraid of how the person might shoot me. Honestly, they had a gun and a nut. But how they might react, right? We get afraid of, of who might be against us. It's a little more than just being afraid. There's a point where we begin to believe that we've already been defeated. And man, when you walk around feeling like you're defeated, it changes everything. But let's flip it around. God says, trust my protection. He says in verse 9, keep on speaking. All the women are like looking at their husbands saying, see, when I talk all the time, I'm just being biblical. That's all I'm doing. God said, keep on speaking. Keep on speaking. And why do you say to keep on speaking? Verse 10. Because no one is going to attack and harm you. So basically, here's what God said. Um, you can't lose. You cannot lose. Keep on speaking. Now, what would you do if I told you there was no possibility of you losing? Your dreams get a little bit bigger, don't they? Suddenly, I don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's. I want to own McDonald's. I didn't want to do that before because what if somebody attacks me? What if somebody's against me? What if I fail? But if God says, hey, you know what? Keep on speaking. Don't stop. Keep on speaking because no one's going to harm you. I don't know how you feel, but when I feel like nobody can hurt me, you start to walk differently, don't you? You carry yourself just a little bit differently. God knows this. He knows that we tend to clam up when we see what's against us. Peter did it in Matthew 14, 30 when he walked out onto the water. He's walking on the water. He's feeling pretty good. He's going to go sup with Jesus. And then he sees the waves. He sees what's against him and what happens. He begins to sink. And Jesus has to save him. And then we're easy. And I don't know how you are. I read the Bible. Yeah, but that's Peter. I mean, I don't want to be like Peter. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus also, when he saw what was against him, wanted to quit. Are you okay with me saying that? Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when Jesus was in the garden... And he saw the cross, Matthew 26, 39, when he saw the cross, he said out loud to God, is there any other way? See, God understands how we're created. He understands that we fear things. He understands that when we see what's against us, it makes us want to shut up. Which is why he said to Paul, listen, I know it's been good to this point, but keep on speaking because no harm will come to you. Why is this such a big deal? Because intimidation leads to compromise. That's what you need to write on your paper. Because intimidation leads to compromise every single time. And God knows that when we think that we will lose, we'll never think of what we could gain. But God's protection ensures that we win. Here's what God's protection gives us. It gives us strength to resist the devil. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. 
You can't resist Satan until you submit yourself to God because God's protection gives you the strength to resist him. His protection, it gives us refuge and peace, Psalm 91, verses 2 and 3. God's protection gives us boldness. We talked about that just a minute ago, feeling invincible. Mark 16, 17 through 18, I'm not suggesting that you practice this, but it talks about those that believe will drink poison, they will pick up serpents and not be bitten. I'm not looking to practice that anytime soon on a Sunday. But I'll tell you this, if God calls us to go to another country of people that are unreached and tell them about, about the gospel and we walk into something and a snake bites us, I have all the confidence in the world that God said, keep on speaking because no one will harm you. Knowing he protects us gives us confidence. And it gives us assurance of victory. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you can prosper. That's cool. No weapon. Not a few, not one or two, no weapon formed against you can prosper. So at this point, your eyes are glazed over. Am I right? We need a little bit of a break. So I'm going to show you a quick clip. Love this clip. It just proves, again, what we've been talking about, that when we stop living defeated lives, we find out what's really possible. And we can't lose if we go all in. So, Coach, how strong is Westview this year? A lot stronger than we are. You already written Friday night down as a loss, Brock? Well, not if I know we could beat them. Come here, Brock. You too, Jeremy. What, am I in trouble now? Not yet. I want to see you do the death crawl again, except I want to see your absolute best. <laughs> <laughs> what, you want me to go to the 30? I think you can go to the 50. 50. I can go the 50 if nobody's on my back. I think you can do it with Jeremy on your back. But even if you can, I want you to promise me you're going to do your best. All right. Your best. Okay. You going to give me your best? I'm going to give you my best. All right, one more thing. I want you to do it blindfolded. Why? Because I don't want you giving up at a certain point when you can go further. Get down. Jeremy, get on his back. <laughs> Get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right, let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground, just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. That's it, Brock. That's it. Am I the 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. I ain't done. I'm just resting a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep, dri keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. 
Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. You keep going. You keep going. It's all hard from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. burn. It's all hard. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You promised me your back. Your back. Don't stop. Keep going. Burn. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. Give me your back. player on this team. If you walk around defeated, so will they. Don't tell me you can't give me more than what I've been seeing. You just carried a 140-pound man across this whole field on your arms. Rock, I need you. God's gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Coach? Can I count on you? Yes. What is it, Jeremy? I want a 160. people leave things unfinished because they're defeated the protection of God counteracts that the bottom line keep on speaking no one will harm you Jesus is called king of kings for one reason he's the king And many of us say it, but don't live like we believe it. Many of us will leave the business of the gospel unfinished because we feel like we're already defeated in our minds. 
The protection of God counteracts that. We cannot be defeated. So we know God's presence. We trust God's protection. Last third, we remember God's purpose. Um, this is interesting to me in verse, in verse 9. God says to Paul, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, and don't be silent. And when I first read that, I thought, yeah, it's just like God. That's what he does, right? Because he knows that we don't understand stuff, so he has to say it two or three times. He says, keep on speaking, don't be silent. And then I looked at the Greek, which I don't always do that because I feel like, you know, we don't want to appear to be, you know, just brilliant people. But sometimes you look at the Greek, man, you learn some pretty cool stuff. And here's what I found out. In the Greek, these are two totally different words. When he said to Paul, keep on speaking, that literally means to talk, to have words, to say them. But the, the Greek phrase for do not be silent is much more about holding one's peace. When you go to a wedding ceremony, we don't say this stuff anymore. If anybody has a reason, speak now or forever, hold your peace. It's about never speaking again. It's used metaphorically in these times when it was written of a still, calm sea. Which sounds beautiful, right? But in this context, this is God saying, don't quit. Not only keep on speaking, but don't live silent lives. Remember God's purpose. God said, don't be silent. Because here's the reason why, Acts 18.10. Don't be silent because I have many people in this city and so in short here's what God says to Paul he says Paul don't give up I've got a purpose I have a plan I have people in this city and Paul goes this city this wealthy arrogant morally corrupt city you're kidding me right God you've got people here God said I've got a purpose for this city do not be silent. Because I've got people in this city. He called Paul to remember that. He said, if you would remember that, you will not be tempted to quit. You won't be tempted to leave the busyness, the business of proclaiming the gospel unfinished. So can we just be honest here? Paul could have stopped after he led Crispus, the synagogue ruler, after he led his entire household to faith in Christ in verse 8, Paul could have stopped. He could have laid on his bed that night and he could have said this to God. It's been a good run. It's been a great run, God. All the things you've done in the first 17 chapters of Acts. It's been amazing. God, that time at Mars Hill, when I like, was talking to the Arapagos before it became a store. And I was telling him, and like a few people believed, it was awesome, God. I mean, those moments, I mean, crazy stuff that you've done, God. And it's been an awesome run. But you know what, God? I'm in Corinth, and this place is too bad. It's too rich. They're too apathetic. They don't care. I don't have anything left. I'm done. I'm out. He could have said all of that. And I believe that he kind of wanted to, or else he wouldn't have had this vision that night. But God had a plan, and he still does. And the plan involves people. And he still uses people to achieve that plan. Let me ask you this, Gathering. What an awesome experience it's been in this place. And so now we come quickly to the end of this and we move next door. And the temptation is going to be to do this. It's been a good run, God. The coffee shop years. That's what we'll call them. <laughs> the coffee shop years. It's been a good run, God. 
but we're tired. We had to work hard. I think we're just done. I'm tapping out. And God would say to you, and he would say to me, do not be silent. Because I have people in this city. I have a purpose in this city. I have a plan, and it involves you. God told Paul to get up because there was still work to be done. The same is true here, and leaving that unfinished is unacceptable. A lot of times, people leave things unfinished because they're satisfied. But the purpose of God counteracts that. The bottom line is it says, don't be silent. I have a plan for you. So let me close it by doing this. I want to kind of address what this looks like in the life of a follower of Jesus, okay? So how do we apply this to our lives? Let me give you five statements that are at the bottom of your sheet. I just want you to fill them in, okay? Five simple statements. And here's your, this is your test, all right? You're going to take the test. I'm going to give you these statements. You're going to use them to evaluate your life, and you're either going to come up with a good score or a bad score. It's your score. Your score in seven years ago. Um, let me just encourage you as well. On the back of your sheet are some some personal growth questions they're there for a reason they're there because my job is not to answer all your questions our job when we teach here is to kind of just get you thinking to get you talking to jesus interacting with his word and so there's some things on the back that will address uh, questions like this can i just be tired you ever feel like that <laughs> i wish you could have been with me saturday i went friday night and i raced a 5K in China Grove. 5Ks are not long at all, but it's the first one I've done in two years. So I run it, and then I go out Saturday. I'm thinking, I, I seem to do like an hour run, right? So I'm just going to go run. It's 72 degrees. Didn't know until I got back that it actually felt like 89. That's not, a good, that's not good at all. So I run two and a half miles, a little over two and a half miles on Saturday, all downhill. And I get to the end of that, and I look, and I realize I have to go back home that way, which is uphill, and back home that way, which is uphill. And it was like, and it's just terrible to say as your pastor, but the first thought I had was crap. Because <laughs> I have to go home. I mean, I, I, I can't just like and just end up there. I have to actually go back because I ran out. I have to go back. And I just, you just want to sit down and just, I wanted to cry by the side of the road, you know, because I'm just tired. You're just tired. So it's okay to be tired, right? It is. And that's what you find on the back of your sheet. I'm not giving you the answer. You study it for yourself. There's a great verse in Galatians that will give you some peace about that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about quitting. Not being tired. God's saying, don't quit. I have a purpose. I have a plan. Here's five statements that you can use to test and evaluate where you are just in relation to unfinished business. Here they are. Found people, find people. Save people, serve people. Blessed people, bless people. Forgiven people, forgive people. And growing people are changed people. Let me say them again. Not a lot of words, but a lot to think about. Found people find people. What does that mean? It means if I've been saved, if I've been rescued from my sin, I'm not content to let other people be lost. But I'm going to go find other people because somebody found me. We have to evaluate our lives according to that statement. How passionate 
am I about finding others who are lost? Or am I content to just be found and hope they stumble here by accident? Save people. Serve people. What does that mean? You don't want me to tell you what that means. Because you already know what it means. Because right now you're thinking, crud, I'm selfish. But I will say this. It's a bold statement I know. And I will give you scriptures to back it up. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, I did not come. I came to seek and save the lost. He says numerous times in the Gospels, I did not come to, I did not come to be served, but to serve. I will say this. The one difference between Christians and non-Christians is that non-Christians have no choice but to be selfish. But Christians have been set free from that, and they have the choice to serve. Selfishness versus selflessness is the one and only true test of our walk with Jesus. And so if we're saved, we will serve. If we're saved and we sit on our butts, which, by the way, just Google this later. It's a great poem called Butt Prints in the Sand. It really is. See, you're like, I'm going to Google it right now. You can if you want to, but you've read Footprints in the Sand, right? Yes. You ever heard of that? Somebody wrote Butt Prints in the Sand. It's a great, great read. Just Google it. You'll laugh later. Don't read it now because you'll laugh out loud and it'll be awkward for me. But if that's our experience, and for so many of us, and it has been for me too, because we just sit and we become consumers, right? We just consume and consume and consume. And I'm telling you, God loves us enough as a church to say to us just what he said to Paul. Don't sit and consume. Don't become a still, stagnant lake. There is work to be done. There are people that I have in this city. I have a purpose. Remember my purpose. Bless people. We'll bless people. And I love that. We talk about that all the time. And you guys already do that. Do you remember the day we got to give Koshi a check for $12,000? I mean, what church plant does that? A church plant that values blessing somebody else. Because we're blessed. Genesis 12.1 says we're blessed to be a blessing. Blessed people, bless people. Forgiven people, forgiven people. Jesus said if you've been forgiven much, you should forgive much. He says that we should forgive the same way that we've been forgiven. How were you forgiven by Jesus? Freely. I mean, he died on the cross for you. He said, I forgive you. So he forgives me like that, but then I pick who I want to let off the hook. Mm. And so Jesus is even more bold. He says, if you are not willing to forgive, you will not be forgiven. Forgiven people naturally forgive. And growing people or changed people just means that if we're growing, our life is looking different. I taught one time in Fusion. That was the youth group I led at First Assembly. I taught the entire lesson with a brown bag and a drink. And just drinking out of it the whole time. And they just couldn't stop laughing because they were like, one, you're like the nerdiest youth pastor we've ever had, and we know that you don't drink. So what's up with that? But at the end, I said, but the funny thing is, at some point, even while I'm talking with a brown bag and I'm drinking, you are thinking to yourself, huh? This doesn't go together. Because sometimes we say that we're growing, but we're not changing. It's not possible to grow and not change. This is why you're not wearing a diaper. Because you grew and you changed. We hope. If you and I come up short on that test, then here's what it means. It means that we have fallen short of the purpose for which 
we were redeemed. And we have forgotten who we are. One last clip just to drive this home, and then we'll wrap it up and take communion. Oh, sure do. You move faster, boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You know my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this, but he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. <laughs> He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. You see, he lives in you. sure about all that circle of life stuff but I know that Colossians 127 says Christ in me the hope of glory and that you gathering are more than what you have become you Christian are more than what you have become remember who you are remember whose you are when I feel the need when I desire to want to settle for things 
we've got to take heart the words that Jesus wrote in Matthew 5. I'm going to read these to you. These are difficult words. Probably not the best way to sum up the whole day because I probably should just pray after that clip because we're all like, the Lion King, it was amazing. But here's what, here's what Jesus says. Strong words, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I read this the other day, and here's the first word that came into my head, legalistic. And I wanted to just scream at the Bible, what are you saying? Why are you talking like that? I've got grace. And then it dawned on me that Jesus said that. And I don't want to stand in front of Jesus and say, you're legalistic, Jesus. You're demanding of me, Jesus. Do you know where it says whoever breaks? We all love that because we're like, well, we don't break the law. You know, we're free from that. But what the word really means is relaxes. Whoever relaxes the least of these commandments. Just relax. Hakuna Matata, another Lion King clip, right? Just relax. And what that gets you is at the end, your father is looking at you saying you are more than what you have become. You have forgotten who you are. Remember whose you are. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we would dare to make it about us? What boggles my mind is having spent two decades in youth ministry is how quickly we will, as adults, jump our children through as many hoops as our coach tells us to. But don't you dare require more of me, Jesus. He never lowers the standard. He always raises it. And it is an unpopular message to teach. But when we don't teach it, we become Paul saying, it's been a good ride. I think I'm done. And God says, no, 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 no. I still have people in this city. The ride is not over. The ride is just beginning. There is unfinished business. And here's what the big idea is for today. And you'll have to just kind of judge yourself with this statement. Unfinished business fires up the fired up. See, some of you, this entire message, have been like, dude, if you would just go shave the rest of your face, I could pay attention better. Because the unfinished business of my face is driving you nuts. And the world would say that you're OCD and you probably need counseling and medication. I would say maybe you're just fired up about unfinished business. Like if you came and lived in my house, if you just came for lunch today, by the time I go to bed tonight, you will have painted my bathroom. It will be done, right? 
And some of you are just like, yeah, it's cool, whatever, you know, it's a new style. I'll probably, like, maybe shave. Uh, some of you ladies are like, I'll shave one leg tomorrow. <laughs> I'll shave one pit. It'll be awesome. Because, see, it divides us, doesn't it? If we're already apathetic, unfinished business doesn't make us want to finish it. It makes us go, ugh, more to do. But, man, when you're fired up, when you're fired up about the gospel and you hear that there are people who do not know the gospel, your response is, let's tell them. I saw LeBron James get interviewed this week before he, they choked away game one, which was awesome to watch. Um, sorry for the Heat fans here. But here was, his, here was his interview. It was before the game. And, you know, the last time he played San Antonio Spurs, he was with Cleveland. They got swept in four games. And somebody said, like, what do you think about that? And he didn't use the phrase unfinished business. But when you hear him talking, this is basically what he said. Oh, I'm, I'm here to finish what I couldn't do back then. We're going to finish this year what I couldn't do back then. He is fired up to finish what he couldn't do then. And I'm calling out the believers in this body who are fired up about Jesus Christ. You're fired up to finish what God has begun here because there is more work to do. We cannot afford to be less than what we could have become. Jesus deserves more than that. The same Jesus that said, Matthew Five said this as well in Luke 9, 62. And these are, again, I'm sorry these are harsh words. I didn't write them. I'm just reading them to you, okay? But Jesus, you know who Jesus is, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> just making sure you know who he is. He's important. Jesus said in Luke 9, 62 that no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, one, that means that we're supposed to not like yard work, and I'm with you on that. But once we start... We're not supposed to look back. You put your hand to the plow, you go. And he didn't say that that person's struggling or tired or he said they're not fit for the kingdom of God. That gets my attention, right? Because I want to be in the kingdom of God. And why would we not be fit for the kingdom of God? Here's a simple reason. Because the kingdom of God is ruled by a king who finishes. And people who don't finish the purpose of God in their lives will not fit in that kingdom. Our response to the unfinished business of proclaiming Jesus will reveal a lot about us. And so what steps do we take if we know that we've been leaving business unfinished? First, we repent. We simply say to God, I've not been finishing. You're a finishing God and I've not been a finishing follower. And I need you to forgive me. I've not been like God in this area. And then second, we need to renew our minds. We renew our minds with the word of God. We renew our bodies to the work of God. It is not enough to have just done good when there is still good to be done. It is not enough to have done good when there is still good to be done. For the follower of Jesus, it is simply unacceptable to leave the mission unfinished. And even now, for many of us here, there is a growing fire to get the job done because unfinished business fires up the fired up and I'm calling you let's go get it done